The title of this morning's sermon is After the Gift. We uh, have been discussing this whole month how Jesus is the greatest gift for all humanity. That baby in the manger, we celebrated this past month, and the culmination of that was yesterday, and I pray you spent some time with the Lord just thanking him and just just sitting there meditating on the goodness of God and him bringing his son into his creation and the finished work that gives us sonship with God. In that time, as that baby was in the, in the manger, the angels came and, and they rejoiced. They praised the Lord. The shepherds came to see what God had done, and they went and they spread the good news. And the wise men brought gifts, and they worshiped the child king. But what happened after that? Um, There was a turn of events after that. And when those turn of events take place, and when those turn of events take place in our own lives, when when praise turns to to fear or confusion or or struggle or even pain, um, do do we trust God in those moments? Do we trust God when we are in the valley place the same way that we trust him when when we're on the mountaintop? Do we keep our hope? Do we keep our peace? Do we keep our joy? Do we still acknowledge that God loves us? This morning, our text is found in Matthew chapter 2, So if you don't mind, just stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 2, and I'll be reading out of the CSB. Matthew chapter 2 reads this way. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and had come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, 
the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He, ordered to, he, he gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they were no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, that he would be called a Nazarene. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, even this morning, how we sung songs speaking about your sovereignty, how you are in control over all things, Lord. And that gives us such comfort when we go through things we don't understand. We ask that you would continue to impress on our hearts your love, Lord, that we would be strengthened, Lord, knowing who you are, the history that we have with you, the history that your people have with you, that you cannot fail, Lord, that all your plans come to pass, Lord. Let us, as we close out this year, continue to recognize all that you have brought us through, that we would glorify your name for this upcoming year and all that you will be doing, and that we are so confident that you will never leave us or forsake us because you have promised that in your word. Give us our nourishment for this day, because only you can do that. 
Speak to our hearts this day. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I, I want to start by, by saying blessings can be confusing. But blessings could look one way, one minute, and then can look like a curse the very next minute. If you think about what Mary went through, what Joseph went through with the virgin birth, with the angels coming to present that the king of kings had come into the earth with the shepherds going to them, telling them what they have witnessed with wise men coming from afar off to worship the king and to lay gifts at his feet. And now they're called to flee the country. Wow. The promised Messiah has come. Emmanuel, God with us, the greatest gift that we could ever receive, the greatest gift that the world could ever have. And then we hear of a massacre and babies being killed. Wow. A couple of things about that is often when we have great victories, often when God does big things in our lives, struggles come behind it. Things that we sometimes don't understand, we can't uh, explain those things away. It, it even messes with our theology a little bit because we, we think to ourselves, well, yes, we see this, uh, this has been a promise We've seen the promise come to pass. We're awaiting uh, for the fulfillment of what this child that was promised was going to grow up and be. And then we hear about this. Uh, when they speak about this massacre that took place, what uh, is believed is that it may have been in that time for a small town like Bethlehem, maybe two dozen children would be about that age, and, and maybe half of them would be boys. So it wasn't as if it was hundreds of children, but even if it was, God is in control of every situation. That is what we mean when we say God is sovereign. In all things, God is at work. So even the taking of those innocent lives. In our economy, it, it, it just seems so wrong. How could anything good come out of that? But if God is bringing those children to himself and the work that he is doing on each heart, the mothers, the fathers, the siblings, the community, he's doing a, a, a work in that and and although Jesus is the greatest blessing, sometimes things like that can be a little confusing. But we have to trust in God in every one of those situations. We know that in some of the hardest situations in our lives is where God has grown us 
the most. Blessings can be confusing also because not everyone views blessings the same way. What you consider a blessing, someone else can consider a problem. The Magi were seeking the king. Herod was opposing the king, and the priests were ignoring the king. This was the greatest blessing of all times, and all three of those groups of people received that blessing totally different. The the, um, scribes and the high priests, they, they knew the Scripture. They were able to articulate the Scripture to Herod when he was asking, and they were able to point others to the Savior. But they didn't go to worship him. The, the Gentiles, these Magis, came from the east, and they came to worship him and to bring him Gifts. It said, entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The the chief priests and the scribes didn't seek him out, but they ignored him. The text says, so he assembled all the chief priests, he meaning Herod, and the scribes of the people, and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew the scripture. They knew the promise. The promise. They knew the prophecy, and yet they weren't there worshiping him. Matter of fact, them and the Jews, along with King Herod, were disturbed, the text says. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. Herod's agenda was so strong that the coming of Jesus was deeply disturbing to him. Wow. If God's agenda gets in the way of your agenda, you have the wrong agenda. So not only does this disturb Herod, he takes action. He takes action to kill God's agenda. There are times that we might not go as far as he did, but we take action to kill God's agenda because we want so bad our agenda to go forth. 
It says, then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave order to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they were no more. Wow. One of the principles we need to walk away with as we listen to that is God at times permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God at times permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. At times what we, what we think is when something so terrible happens, that God was asleep or not paying attention, but the word of God said he never sleeps nor slumbers. We know that God cares, that God loves us, and that he has every one of these things under control. So if God is good and allowing things like this to happen, he's up to something even bigger. And we have to know that. One of the things that takes us out is when we have thoughts about God that because we are his people, we're only going to receive good, that everything is going to go our way. And when it doesn't, it shakes our faith because that is not the God of the Bible. Everything God does is for our good and his glory. That is for sure. How he gets to that place is in his hands. God leads us through it all. God's provision, God's protection, God's direction throughout all we deal with. And we see that in this story. God uses all things. God uses good intentions of men. God uses the evil intent of men. God used Mary, a young virgin girl from a small village. God used Joseph. God actually gave Joseph more direction and more dreams to guide this family than he gave to Mary. His interactions with angels in dreams so that he would know exactly what God called him to do were numerous. We just read it in the text. And we didn't read the text where he had to be convinced by an angel to take Mary as his wife. One of the things that we recognize with Joseph is shortly after this story, Jesus is about 12 years old, and, and they go off to Jerusalem for the Passover, and Jesus gets left behind, and they have to go back a three-day's journey to get him. After that, you don't hear about Joseph anymore. We don't know what happened to Joseph, when Joseph died. What we know is that God used him in a mighty way, and when he was finished using him, 
He took him. He, he removed him from the story. See, our lives are so centered around me, about mine, about what I want to do, but ultimately, we are here to glorify God. Not only are we here to glorify God, all of our satisfaction, all of our hope, all of our peace, all of our joy is going to be centered around us glorifying God. God used not only good intent, not only did he use his people, but he even used evil intent. He used Herod, Herod the Great, the one who rebuilt the temple, the same one who killed innocent boys. He used a star. He used angels. He used dreams. All of this in what we read. He used Joseph's fear. He used Herod's anger. He used Jews. He used the Gentiles. He even uses pain. God overrules evil for his greater purposes. See, see, suffering and the suffering we go through, it's not evil, but sometimes it can bring evil or sinful things that are in us to the surface. How, how do you handle suffering? Do you get mad? Do you get impatient? Do you lose trust in God? What about when you lose something that you love? Maybe a job, maybe a possession, even in this case, a loved one. Nothing in this world can be placed above God. As these things come up in our lives, we have an opportunity to present them to God because when we go through suffering, things come to the surface, things that must be dealt with, and that's an opportunity for us to present them to God. He will deal with the sin issue and he replaces it with holiness. So not only does he deal with the sin that comes up in this situation, he replaces it with holiness. As we sung, as Deacon Ray says, he uses these very things to make us look more like Jesus. And that's the priority. Not these temporal things, but things that are eternal. And he leads us through different circumstances like this to recognize what's really important, to recognize what is eternal, what our value system should be. And one of the things that we have to have deep in our hearts is that God governs every single detail. Not only does God govern every single detail, all things serve God. Everything is his servant. It says in Psalm 119, starting at verse 90, 
You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day. For all things are your servant. All things are God's servant. All things can, all things will be used by God to accomplish his good purposes. Everything that is hard in our lives, all these things that we face, these challenges that we have, is a divine invitation for us to turn to God. So, after the, the gift comes, they are put into this situation where they are not only confused, they are not only uh, in a position where they've seen God's hand, they've watched the miraculous things that he has done, but now they're challenged with the sinfulness of the world, the things that we still have to deal with. One of the things that we recognize as believers is once we were saved, at times certain things have become even more difficult. But one of the things we know is that even when the path is unclear, he will always provide. I don't need to know everything. All I need to know is who knows. That, that's one of the principles that I live with just in terms of, of management. I don't need to know everything. I don't know everything. I will never know everything. The important thing for me to know is who knows. So if I know that I can't sing, I need to know that Heather can sing. I don't need to know what an A note sounds like. All I need to know is when she plays it, does it bring me closer to the presence of God and joining in, in worship? In the very same way, what I really need to know is not even what I need to know, it's who I need to know. It is because who God is, it is because I know God that even having an unclear path, I don't have to worry. One of the things that I've always hated, I mean, one of those things that would get me upset in a way where even bigger things didn't get me upset was when I would get lost. When I got lost, I would be really upset. And you know, uh, this is before our phones and navigation systems. You know, we would take road trips and we would have maps. And you'd have to know how to read a map. Now, I've already said in the past that my wife does not like to help me drive. 
So, okay, that's fine. I'll drive. You be the co-pilot. The co-pilot has a job. The job of the co-pilot is read the map. Well, she was not good at reading maps either. I can't drive and read the map. And you know when you're on a road trip and you miss a turn, it could take you far off. And depending on if you're going to the trip or coming back determines how you respond to those kind of things. Because now I'm upset and she's like, I thought, I said, I told you to turn and if I take my frustrations out on her on the way to vacation, that's problematic. So I'd have to stop, read the map, and figure out which way to go. Today, we totally rely on our phones. Like I have GPS in my car, I never use it, I only use my phone to get places. And we are so confident when someone gives us an address that we don't even think twice. Okay, tap the, tap the button on the address they sent. You don't even have to punch anything in like back in the days. It just said, this is the way to go. Are you ready to go now? And you start to travel. I think sometimes we have more confidence in things like that than in life having an unclear path because we don't know which way that GPS is taking us. We just blindly follow believing we'll get to the destination. There's times when our path is unclear and because we don't know, we allow that to act as if God doesn't know, as if he's not going to lead us, if he's not the one giving us clear direction. Every part of the way, God was so faithful in taking care of Jesus and Joseph and Mary. He has not taken care of that situation any better than he takes care of us. We, we can have a confidence that every step of the way, I don't need to know how to get there. I just need to know the one who's taking me there. God knows the way. The path often is never clear to us. It's always clear to him. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. All the different things that we said he used, he used a star to guide Gentiles from the east to a very specific home to be able to worship Jesus. 
everything that we've gone through, all the ups and downs, all the ins and outs, are for God to bring us to a place where we would worship Jesus. The path is never clear for us, but it's always clear for him. One of the things that we have to have so confirmed in our heart is his plans always prevail. We see here prophecy after prophecy that was laid out hundreds of years in the past. He sent Joseph into Egypt. The prophecy said, my son will come out of Egypt. He led Joseph out of Egypt. He led Joseph into Bethlehem. In the same way, God knows the end from the beginning. It is his plan. It's not our plan. We must submit to his plan. We must say, God, your will be done. If we really truly want to follow God's plan and we know that he has these things under control, it relieves us from a lot of things. The question becomes, do we really want God's plan? Maybe we're concerned about our tomorrows because we want to institute our plan. We, we rather God be with our program. See, the thing is, we're with God. It's not that God's with us. There's a big difference. Have you ever tried to get into like an exclusive place and when you went there, they were like, who you with? It wasn't who was with you. It was who you were with that opened the door to get you where you wanted to be in terms of entrance. His plans not only always prevail, his plans are always best. In this new year, we have to be convinced, God, I want your way. God, I trust you. Make it a point to know God better this year. This is why when you don't know God, you misjudge him. When you don't fully know who this God is, you will always misjudge them. How many times have we misjudged people? We look at somebody, hmm, look shady. I remember one time we were um, handing out um, and, and, and witnessing, we were doing like street evangelism and witnessing to people and, and went to <laughs> a homeless community and I'm um, giving somebody something and, and, and I tell the guy like, I'm a pastor. He's like, you don't look like a pastor. Like, oh, thanks. Well, here you go. God bless you. Could I pray for you? We misjudge people all the time but it's always the people we don't know. When we know God, trust him, we understand who he is to us. We don't put him in a box. See, part of the problem is too often we're trained to hear sermons, but not to learn truth. 
So even like a message today, like we need to learn the truth behind that. So when we go through things, in this past year, the things that we've gone through, we can say God is in complete control. He has provided. He has seen me through. No, the path is not clear to me, but it's clear to him. He is sovereign over all. So we have to train ourselves to learn truth. Because the Bible says it is truth that sets you free. See, truth is confrontational. Truth always forces you to take responsibility. You're responsible for what you know, and you can't unknow what you know. And once you know something, you need to make sure that you're allowing the right things to shape you. See, because love shapes how truth is spoken. But truth shapes how we love. Truth shapes what we love. When we know truth, it shapes how we love and what we love. It is so important for us to want truth. It is so important for us to be confronted with truth so that we can understand who God is, so we can understand who we are, so we can see his hand and everything that he does. So when we have to flee the country, when we hear of disasters that have taken place, in the midst of God blessing, that we don't let that shake us, that we don't allow that to move us, that we recognize I stand on a strong foundation. And God uses all things. All things are his servant. Even sometimes our emotion. When I read that, Joseph didn't want to go there because he was fearful. But then God redirected him someplace else. So God even uses our frailties. When we are his children, we can trust in him. You, may, you can come up, please, Heather. It says in Isaiah 46, starting at verse 9, remember what happened long ago. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning. And from long ago, what, not, what is not yet done? Saying, my plans will take place and I will do all my will. Wow. God is reminding us that he's God and there is no other. That he not only knows the end from the beginning, he, he declares the end from the beginning. He set the end from the beginning in motion. He has all of these things in charge. Every single turn 
that Joseph and Mary took was already spoken out in prophecy, already ordained in the mind of God, and had already had its effect in what God was doing. We need to rest confident in these things in the new year. We need to look at this past year, even these past two years. We've experienced things that we've thought we, we would never have imagined any of them. But at the same time, we can look back and say, I see your hand, Lord. I see your provision, O oh God. I see your protection, O oh God. I see the direction that you've led me in. I've changed. I'm not who I, who I was with all the hard things that have taken place. God is bringing me to look more like Christ. And in the midst of it all, my hope is still in him. My peace with him, my inner peace, my peace of mind, my peace with others are still there. Even through suffering, I, I still have a joy. And I know that I'm loved by him and his demonstration of love I've been able to demonstrate to others. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. All of these things are caused by God, and God is working out his perfect plan because he is perfect in all his ways. We, we, can't, we can't fight against that. Herod could not fight against what God was doing. This was actually a great king who accomplished many things if you look at his life. And toward the end of his life, he got so bitter, started killing family members and led this massacre and tried to fight against God. So often in our lives, we have these little scrimmages with God, wanting things to go our way instead of submitting to his way. Not even sometimes coming to the place of, it's unclear to me, God. I, I, I don't understand this, but I trust you. I, I'm, I'm hurting, God. This has been painful. But teach me to understand that you're doing something in me, in this, and through this. You're causing me to look more like your son. Those are things we can take great joy in. Those are things that we can take great confidence in. We can look at this year that has, is behind us now and and look forward to what he's doing in these times to come. It's going to have his own set of challenges. But God is sovereign. 
God is in charge. God is at work. Are you submitting to his will becomes the question. Would you please stand with me? I'd like to pray for you. And the first thing I want us to do is just to thank God for his faithfulness in this past year. When we haven't been faithful, he was still faithful. When we've been out of control, he was still in control. We didn't know what to do next. He did. And he guided and directed us. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for the hard times, Lord. We thank you that when we read texts like this, that the greatest blessing that could ever come to the world had come. But it was still full of the dirt and grime of sinfulness, of fear. But your perfect plan went forth and you used everything because everything is your servant. We thank you that we are your willing servants, O oh God, that you are Lord of our lives. And we pray for the one that is in this room, O oh God, that has been fighting against you, that you've allowed to go through a process to come to the end of their self to recognize, I need God. That they would know you've allowed them to go through was an act of mercy and grace and love on your part so that they would recognize who the God of the universe is, the one who came and lived a sinless life, came into his own creation, hung on a cross, died, was buried, and rose again, ascended, and is at the right hand of the Father, so that we may have life interceding for us right now. Thank you for the one that you've turned on that light, that today they see that hard road was a divine invitation. But as they submit to you, as they repent, as they draw near, Lord, they will understand that the God of the universe loves them so much, like each one of us understands. But we all need to be reminded, oh God, we have struggles, we have hard times, we have difficulties, but you are God sovereign over all. You love us. You're for us. And you're in control of everything. And you're bringing us through. So we submit praise to you, O oh God. We thank you, Lord. 
We even thank you for the things that are unclear because we don't need to know. We just need to know you. We thank you for the things that are hard because you're working out something in it for our good and your glory. We thank you for the many blessings, Lord, especially for the gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. So we're going to walk forward in this new year, Lord, praising you, worshiping you, trusting you, Lord. We ask that you would help us, Lord, to keep our hope fixed on you. That we would thank you for the peace that we have with you. That we will never suffer the wrath of God. That we would walk in joy, recognizing you are in control of every situation. And that we know is anchored in your love. And we would know how much you love us. We thank you this day for what you've done in the mighty name of Jesus and what you're going to do. Because this we know. And this we are sure of, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. God bless you, saints.